0: Hello, my loves, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Now, on today's episode, you have just got me, and it's going to be a slightly different episode. I want to talk to you about some of these symptoms and the things that you may experience that you didn't realise were a part of your trauma. Now, heads up before I go any further with this episode, I want to make it crystal clear that absolutely none of the things I am discussing in this episode are diagnostic. They're simply not. However, I do think that they are shared lived experiences that so many of us who have experienced complex trauma will be able to relate to. And I, in particular, find it really helpful to be able to understand the reasons that I do the things that I do, to be able to identify the behaviours that I exhibit and be able to look at them and go, huh. That's because of my trauma. How can I navigate that so that it doesn't impact me and those around me negatively? And truthfully, I find it fascinating to understand how much trauma affects us. It's widely accepted in the medical and psychology communities now that trauma has a physiological response. There are constant studies that are popping up all the time, new ones every day that show a clear link between trauma and physical responses and it can be for so many different things from stomach ache all the way through to carpal tunnel. So there really is a link there and there are so many things that I think we pass off as just being a bit quirky or often worse us saying oh we're weird or there's something wrong with us when in fact that's not the truth at all, this is a response to your trauma. Now as I go through the episode, you might also recognize that a lot of the symptoms that I talk about are also linked with neurodivergence. I have friends who are diagnosed with ADHD who share some of these symptoms and will often say to me, are you sure you don't just have ADHD, like this is the same kind of thing that I do? And the answer is no, not that I know of, I have had complex trauma. But so many of the things that we recognize now as being part of neurodivergence are also part of complex trauma because that in itself is a type of neurodivergence. Trauma literally changes your brain chemistry. And I do mean it quite literally changes your brain chemistry. So when you are under stress, cortisol is the hormone that is produced and that is essentially produced to shut down certain functions so that your body can focus all that energy on dealing with the stress at hand. If you grow up in a toxic household and for people who've had PTSD or CPTSD, that stress response system stays activated, which means that your cortisol levels are constantly altered. Studies have been conducted multiple times to show that people who have PTSD or CPTSD, which PTSD being post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD being complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is the most common in people who have grown up in abusive households, those cortisol levels are almost always either too high or too low. That mind-body connection is real. It's there. It's this proof of it. And when you are suffering mentally, your physical wiring is short-circuiting. That prolonged exposure to all those changes, especially in a developing body, that unbalance constantly, it's bound to have some physical symptoms at some point, and fantastic researchers and specialists have proved that this is the case. If you read any of Gabor Mate's books, they are fantastic at looking at exactly how trauma affects your body. There's also the Body Keeps Score, which is by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, that's it, Bessel van der Kolk, which is a fantastic book that looks at exactly how and why trauma impacts us with that physiological response. It's not just about, oh, it's all hidden in the brain. No, there are actual symptoms that are shown. We just ignore them because we're unwilling to acknowledge the link between trauma and our physical bodies. Now, there are plenty of trauma symptoms that I think it would be safe to say the majority of people would associate with trauma. Things like flashbacks. Sleep disturbances, you know, are you waking up in the middle of the night or you're really struggling to get to sleep, insomnia, that kind of thing. A low self-esteem or a really harsh inner critic. When you think about how trauma is portrayed in the media or in movies... We often think of PTSD, usually from a soldier or somebody who has been in a terrible experience, but it's a one-off experience. And the difference with complex trauma is that it's a continual thing. For complex trauma survivors, it's not just an event, and that's not to diminish PTSD. That is horrific in and of itself. But the difference between the two is that one usually is centred around an experience or an event, whereas complex trauma is something that has been sustained for an extended period of time, like childhood trauma. And that does not necessarily mean that if you have experienced childhood trauma, you have CPTSD. But for a lot of people who have experienced childhood trauma, they do have CPTSD. And those flashbacks, those memory lapses, that distorted sense of self, all of those things are very real experiences for them in the same way that they would be for someone who had PTSD. But we often think of these symptoms in this really dramatic way. You know, you think of the soldier who's come back from war who sleeps with a gun under his pillow and jumps at his wife or partner because, ah, oh, it's all so stressful and he hears a bang and goes into some kind of psychotic break. It's not the reality of what it actually is like living with these things. Don't get me wrong, it can be, absolutely, and that in itself is absolutely horrific. However, we have this very one-dimensional idea of what trauma and PTSD or CPTSD will look like, and that's not the reality for the majority of people who are experiencing CPTSD symptoms. How many times will you have said to somebody, oh, actually, I have a lot of childhood trauma and they'll have gone, oh, right, was mummy not nice to you or been really dismissive of it or just a bit awkward about it because they don't know what that actually means. And when you're an adult, it's, well, you should get over it. And as I said at the beginning, it's so much more complicated than just getting over it or just working through it with a therapist or any of those things because that is a literal change to your brain chemistry. It's a bit like saying to somebody who is autistic or has ADHD or any other kind of neurodivergence, oh, you should just get over it and just change. It's not the reality. And it's super invalidating and dismissive. So yes, when we think about trauma and we think about PTSD or CPTSD, we do think about those big flashbacks, the horrific nightmares, the low self-esteem, maybe even drug use or substance use. We might think about violence in all these extremes, but there are some really niche things that I think are really interesting that I know I've experienced myself on more than one occasion. So take, for example, one of the things that I have noticed about myself and that I have noticed when speaking to clients and speaking to other people who have experienced CPTSD is clumsiness especially if I am in a triggered state now that might not sound like a big deal and it's not it's one of the real minor ones don't get me wrong if I could trade out having just clumsiness for the horrendous nightmares that I get when I'm really triggered then yeah I'd trade it out in a heartbeat it's not a big deal but it is quite interesting when I have been in a particularly dark mood or I've been depressed or I've had an argument with my spouse or something has triggered that fight or flight response in me and those increased cortisol levels, I become really clumsy. In fact, in my day-to-day life, I am a very clumsy person and that's often associated with trauma or neurodivergence. Something that I never knew. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I'd had a really big row with my spouse and I was feeling really, really triggered. It brought up so many emotions of abandonment. It brought up so many stress responses. It just really put me in a bad place. And I was trying to do the dishes and I dropped a plate completely out of the blue. Not a big deal. And then I dropped one of my favourite cups, again completely out of the blue and i wasn't doing anything different to what i would normally do but i was in such a triggered state that my brain was just not functioning at all and i'd become so clumsy i've i've this week got bruises on my legs on my arms i've even got one on my head and i've got no idea how i've done them but when i was doing some research on cptsd one of the things that came up was clumsiness. And when I was looking into trigger responses and how we respond to different things, one of the quirky things that came up again was clumsiness. And it's linked to the fact that our brain is so busy trying to disassociate from the stresses and so busy trying to cope with the stress that we just don't have the normal functionality that we would have if we were in a good space. Which makes sense when you think about it. It all adds up. It kind of leads me neatly into a couple of other things that are common trauma symptoms that actually I've never really acknowledged as trauma symptoms. One of them being that brain fog, which is linked to that clumsiness. It's where that that fog just descends on you and you feel so disorientated. Have you ever experienced that? I know I have. You can be midway through a conversation and then suddenly it's like your brain just goes, you know what? no and you struggle to retain that information we talk about short-term memory loss being a really common symptom of cptsd ptsd trauma depression all these different things because when your brain is so busy trying to fight off that stress producing those extra hormones hasn't got the capacity for other things but brain fog in particular i find can be really frustrating i'd be halfway through a sentence and then all of a sudden it's like my brain's just gone no we don't know we don't feel like finishing that or I find that when I am in a particular traumatised state... One of the words that's quite commonly used to talk about this is when you are activated, and I'll be honest, it makes me feel like a Power Ranger, (laughs) and I'm not really keen on the the word itself, but it does, it makes me feel like I'm activated, Uh, like some kind of Power Ranger supervillain who's been activated from its sleep. I'm not a fan of it, but that is what you would call it if you were in a particularly trauma-triggered state, activated state. But when we are feeling that way, and we are dealing with times of high stress, especially if you have had traumatic experiences and you have CPTSD, those brain fog moments feel really heavy and really deep and they can switch on at the most bizarre moments, and it comes down to things like missing appointments, or forgetting what I'm doing, or what I'm meant to be doing, all of these different things that are really frustrating, and also with complex trauma, you have this really heavy inner critic at the best of times, so when you are in that trauma-enhanced state, and you are feeling really triggered, and you're experiencing all these symptoms, it becomes a vicious cycle because you start to internalize it and tell yourself that it's because you're stupid. When I dropped the plate and then dropped the cup straight afterwards, my brain instantly went to, oh my god, I can't do anything, I'm so fucking useless, I'm so awful, why would anyone want to be with me? And it spirals to this really, it's called rapid thinking actually, it has its has its own little name, and it's when that inner critic goes into like hyperdrive, and you start to internalize everything, and you make these mountains out of molehills, which again is re traumatizing because you've always been told by your toxic parent that you're overly dramatic that you you just oh you inflame everything you you make this so much more dramatic than it needs to be and then you are quite literally doing that inside your own head with that negative inner critic that negative voice that's telling you you're useless you're awful you're horrendous you're worthless because you've dropped a plate I make it make sense but now that I know what that is and why those things happen to me, I can catch it. And I do believe there is power in knowledge, in knowing that these things are trauma symptoms and that I can catch it and go, "Mm, hang on a minute, I'm being extra clumsy here because I'm really triggered. I'm being extra clumsy here because I'm in a high state of stress. This is part of but the experiences that I've had growing up. This is part of who I am. I'm not going to beat myself up for feeling this way I'm not going to be unkind to myself I'm going to catch that inner critic and say hang on a minute miss you can back the fuck off and I'm not great at it. every time I don't think anybody is I don't think anybody has the magic wand that is all of a sudden like okay no we don't have a negative inner critic that's mean to us anymore but you can definitely dull that voice by catching it and by saying "Mm mm-mm We're not going to sit in that mind frame and allow ourselves to be bullied by ourselves and what's interesting is as I'm recording this and I'm listening back to it I'm thinking well these seem like really minor things that are kind of little quirks that are not really a big deal but actually when you add them together and you can see the cycle building of these small things that are a bit quirky a bit different and then that negative inner critic that builds and those rapid thoughts that start to come you can understand how you can very quickly go into a trauma cycle and how you can really push yourself into a depressive state and that actually in itself is another commonly known trauma response is that you can have depressive episodes and depressive states for absolutely no reason it's linked to an inability to control your emotions especially if you grow up in a household where you've never had that displayed for you you've never been shown how to control your emotions because you've never had a parent who can sit in that space where they can help you regulate your emotions whilst regulating their own you don't have the luxury of growing up being taught how to regulate your emotions. So it's very common for people who have experienced trauma and who have CPTSD in particular to struggle with regulating their emotions. And that can be excessive anger at things that are quite inconsequential. It can be crying at random intervals. I am somebody who tends to numb out as opposed to become very emotional. And even as I say that, I think I need to correct myself there because in the past, I have really struggled to regulate my emotions, especially when I was a young adult at late teens. I could explode with tears and it would be over something really small. And and just seemed like such an outlandish overreaction. But the truth is, it wasn't an outlandish overreaction to me because this is always continually bubbling underneath the surface. And you can see quite clearly how this feeds into a toxic parent's ability to say, well, you're such an overreactor. Because it does seem like an overreaction, but you are carrying so much trauma all of the time that these are not overreactions at all. These are responses to trauma and when I think about how I regulate my emotions it's kind of like if you think of road rage it seems like such a strange thing to start screaming and shouting at and yet so many people do find themselves in those positions. It's a very similar feeling of having this Big emotion in there for what might seem like something that isn't really a big deal, or for what might seem like something that is an everyday occurrence that would, for other people, perhaps be a conversation, might be a bit of a tiff, but actually becomes a big deal for you. And it's because it's sat there constantly under the surface as trauma. And I wonder for how many of you this resonates with this struggle to regulate your emotions and to not be crying at nothing or crying at small things or having what might seem to other people like an overreaction and that is a really sensitive point for you because you've been told for so much of your life that you are a drama queen or king or overreactor and that you're just too sensitive when actually in reality you're not you're bloody traumatized and it's sat there under the surface constantly for you waiting to bubble up so that struggle to regulate those emotions and to have what other people might view as a normal response is really difficult to maintain. And it's exhausting, it truly is, and that's actually, in and of itself, another trauma symptom that comes up quite often is true exhaustion. You might have seen uh, reels, TikToks, all these snappy videos of people talking about how, when you finally come out, of that fight or flight response. Perhaps you've cut contact with someone, perhaps you've managed to remove an abuser from your life, you've set boundaries, whatever it might be, or you're working through healing with a therapist or a coach and you've got to that point where you suddenly feel like you've been hit by a sledgehammer and you are so exhausted. You could sleep for days and days and days. That exhaustion is really common for people who have CPTSD or who have worked through trauma. And it is because those emotions are always just there under the surface being suppressed so that you can function as a normal adult. It is because of those increased cortisol levels that you are constantly in this state of fight or flight that when you suddenly come out of that and you feel safe, all of that exhaustion is allowed to hit you. If you think about, think about fantasies where it's Take The Walking Dead, for example, where they're constantly in this stressed state and they don't get to sleep. And I look at them sometimes and think, how the hell are they still functioning? Like, this is so unrealistic. You wouldn't be able to function. People do. People in reality do function in these extreme traumatic situations, be it war torn countries or be it childhood trauma where they're constantly at risk of being abused people do function in these high states of trauma for years and years, decades, lifetimes and then when they stop they have to deal with it all. The body really is a remarkable thing that it manages to keep going especially for children when it's developing throughout these different scenarios and I want to reiterate again, trauma isn't a pissing contest. There isn't, oh, well, so-and-so had it worse because they had this experience. Trauma is valid regardless of how it's come about. It's valid and you're allowed to have these symptoms, these responses as much as you might not want them because let's be honest, none of us do, but you are allowed to acknowledge that you have experienced trauma. It's valid and it doesn't matter if you feel that someone else had it worse than you. There will always be someone else who appears to have had it worse than you. You Don't let that invalidate your experiences and hold you back from acknowledging that the experiences you have had are abusive and the experiences that you've had have given you trauma. I mentioned earlier nightmares and nightmares are something that I have always had and I knew, I kind of knew that they were a part and parcel of trauma of CPTSD and PTSD but I didn't actually realise to which degree my nightmares were linked to my experiences with complex trauma also never really acknowledged how when I am in a heightened state of stress my nightmares get wild and it feels like I haven't slept, it feels like I haven't slept for days and I talk in my sleep, I thrash about, it it sucks. My nightmares can be really silly. But actually as an adult, it can be quite embarrassing to acknowledge that you're constantly having these nightmares. It seems really silly and, and mine are so rushed and rapid thoughts just constantly flickering and running through my mind. It might be something that I've seen on TV that links to something that I ate, that links to something that was said that day. They have no rhyme or reason and they make no sense so they're so disorientating but if you say to somebody I just had a really bad nightmare as an adult you're just expected to kind of get up and get on with it. Like, it's it's little kid stuff that you would want to have a cuddle afterwards or that you'd, you'd go and climb into your parents' bed, although I think for a lot of us that was not an experience that we could have had. But in the norm, that is what would happen. A child would have a nightmare, they'd seek a parent's reassurance, they'd get the reassurance, they'd learn how to self-regulate, cool, great. But when you have had childhood trauma... Those nightmares, you could do a whole episode yourself I think on nightmares for people who've experienced complex trauma because they're just wild and there's no way to really explain them but if you do have nightmares that are like weird and really over the top and leave you feeling really disorientated, really exhausted and like you just haven't slept at all but make you feel ashamed, like you should be able to just shake it off because you're an adult and you know it's not real, you're not alone in that experience. It's actually a very common response to complex trauma because when your brain does relax enough for you to sleep that's when it starts to process those higher levels of cortisol it's when it starts to process all of the different things that it has seen heard and acknowledged throughout the day that you have been suppressing and trying to disassociate from which is another complex trauma response ever been accused of being the child that daydreams or being an adult who finds themselves daydreaming and struggling to focus a lot that can be disassociation and again as I said at the beginning none of these are diagnostic and none of these are just symptoms of trauma they can be symptoms of many other things as well but they are linked to trauma. I can be pretty big on disassociation when I'm feeling really threatened and I've found that actually as I have been moving through my healing journey. Disassociating is something I have found harder to do and something that I've had to acknowledge I relied on quite a lot when I was in a triggered state. I remember saying in one of my counselling course sessions um, where I'm training to become a counsellor therapist that I'm very good at bracketing which is where you may put things aside in order to be able to focus on a different task. And I didn't actually share with the group that I am good at bracketing because when I was a child I was taken to see a psychologist and they taught me exactly how to do that. They also taught me how to go to a safe place in my mind which, (laughs) ding, 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 that's disassociation and I remember practicing this safe space. And it's something that I think is a skill I naturally did. And I I do not remember much of that experience of seeing the psychologist. I remember my mum being in the room with me and me feeling like I had to have her there and asking her to be with me so that she could feel needed, but actually really needing someone to talk to. And I remember being terrified because the psychologist was a man and I didn't want a man who was like my dad. And I can't have been more than eight or nine. And I think actually it was during a period when my school had shut down and I'd moved to a new school and the interim between going to... So I must have been... 10. I must have been 10 because I was waiting to go to the secondary school that I had been bigged up to love, That I was so excited for and my little primary school had shut down so I'd had to find a new school and the new school I hated and when I say I cried every single day for the school year and that's how I started my day and spent the majority of my day crying through that It's a period of my life that I look back on with such sadness and confusion because I still can't quite understand what it was that was triggering me into these episodes of not being able to stop crying. But I couldn't. I simply could not stop crying I could not calm down I could not regulate my emotions and I think in the end that was what pushed my mum to take me to see a psychiatrist or psychologist I'm not sure which one he was as I say my memories around that are really quite murky but I do remember him sitting with me and teaching me how to find my safe space inside and a part of that I developed into disassociation it wasn't just finding a safe space I would go there when I was triggered I would go there when I was upset I would go there quite a lot and I also remember I'd forgotten about this but I do remember when we first moved to well I say when we first moved we moved when I was about nine and I now own the house that we moved to when I was a child but when we first moved to this house I one of the bedrooms was just piled up with carpets because my mum insisted on bringing her carpets from her old house which in hindsight is actually quite bizarre I've never really thought about that but I remember those carpets were all piled up in one of the spare bedrooms to the point where you could barely get in the room and I used to go and sit for no word of a lie hours on those carpets no music no we didn't have phones or anything like that when I was a kid I used to just sit and actually god I haven't thought about this for years that was disassociative episodes where I would just go and sit in that room I can't remember what I was doing I think I used to just sit on the carpets, and it was the backing of the carpets and I remember how scratchy they were and I just felt safe because I was on my own in that room that was a big revelation for a podcast episode sorry guys that was a bit of a I don't remember that until now, and that's just come back to me. Is going and sitting in that room, and just looking out the window, and I know they had horses in the back field, and I used to just sit. and We are talking hours. I also used to love hearing the bath running so would go and sit and run a bath and I'd just sit in the bathroom on the floor listening to the water running really calm and if anybody disturbed that the jumpiness which I'm going to move on is another really common symptom of trauma and jumpiness is something that I found all throughout my life I'm really easy to make jump it doesn't particularly bother me I know for some people they find it really stressful and it puts them back into that phase where they were perhaps physically attacked or assaulted but for me it just seems to be a natural jumpiness especially if I'm in a particularly triggered state and I remember discussing jumpiness and then another one which is holding your breath that's a common or forgetting how to breathe which is a common trauma response or struggling with your breath, struggling to take a deep breath. Now this isn't one that I've experienced personally but it is something that I know I spoke to Elspeth Vanderhoel about on one of the podcast episodes which you can go back and listen to. She would say that as a child she would hold her breath to the point where she was passing out and then be accused of doing it for attention it's a common trauma response for cptsd that i did not realize Uh, again it's not something that i in particular experience i do feel breathless but i link that to anxiety which so many of the things that you note as trauma responses are also noted throughout anxiety throughout neurodivergence as i said before so a lot of these things could be either or but that one in particular holding breath and struggling to remember how to breathe is quite an interesting one and it all links back to the brain not really being able to hold space for everything all at once and you can see how every single one of these things feeds into this negative inner critic who then becomes this rapid thoughts of negative thoughts and this spiral because as an adult saying to somebody I've forgotten how to breathe or struggling to breathe feels so silly and feels so ridiculous. I've spoken to people before who've had these experiences and it feels really shameful to say, I I struggle with my breathing, like how can I be so stupid as to struggle with breathing? And it's not stupidity at all. It's because the brain doesn't have the capacity to go, yeah, we're gonna do all of these things all at once whilst we're being flooded with cortisol, thanks very much. It's just not reality. Another one that I do get quite often is random chills. Um, You hear people say, oh it feels like somebody just walked over my grave. Have you heard that saying before? That's one that I experience fairly regularly and it's not necessarily a trauma thing. It can be plenty of other things but if you are in a particularly triggered state and you are suddenly cold for no reason, the temperature hasn't changed and in particular hands and feet being cold is really common when we're talking about trauma and when I am in an argument my hands, my feet, are so cold, and it 's because blood is flooding away from the hands and the feet the extremities because you 're in fight or flight response and where we think about our bodies being these amazing machines, they truly are in the way that they keep us going throughout all of these traumatic experiences and throughout this trauma whilst they 're so busy trying to just cope with everything. but with cptSD because you have been living in that trauma for so long, that fight or flight response sticks. And whilst that's busy sticking, you are having the symptoms of fight or flight response, like random chills because the blood's gone away from the body, like cold hands, feet. Another one is tremors, shakes in your hands and in your legs in particular. Tremors is something that I don't experience very often. I do get shaky hands when I'm really stressed. um, But tremors in the legs is another one that's reported very commonly with CPTSD. And you can experience these for no reason at all. You're just walking around the shops, living your life, and all of a sudden these things start to happen because your body is so used to being in fight or flight. That is your main bread and butter that that's your main way of being so to have to relearn an entire new way of living and of being that is outside of fight or flight response because your body doesn't know that it's in that it doesn't know that it's in fight or flight or freeze or fawn or whatever it is that is your panic response it doesn't know that it's sat in that phase because to that body it's developed in that phase it's just the norm There are also several types of minor self-harming that we don't think of as self-harming. So, for example, nail biting to the point where you are drawing blood, cuticle picking, I'm a real cuticle picker. I don't bite my nails, but I, especially when I am stressed, constantly rip the hell out of my cuticles and the sides of my fingers that is really common another one that I do is I have a tendency to dig my nails into my hands or into my forearms and I'm not even aware that I'm particularly doing it but will suddenly look down I've got little half moons half moons decorating all along my arms when I am particularly stressed out it's a similar thing to clenching fists you might find that you suddenly have randomly clenched fists or clenched jaw and you didn't realize that you were doing it again shoulder pains back pains they're really heavily linked to trauma because that's where we hold the trauma where we are physically tensing our muscles without even being conscious that we're doing it and it's something that massively impacts how our physical well-being is in terms of where our mental health's at, when you are more stressed, those aches, those pains that you feel is because your body is bunching up, ready to run, ready to flight or fight. I also find quite often that when I'm digging my nails in, it's a subconscious distraction away from whatever is distressing me because that little pinch in my skin, I'm feeling like, okay, now I'm focusing on that now. My brain's too busy focusing on the fact that something's digging in or something's irritating it along there you see when I was a child actually god I'd forgotten about this as well I used to scratch the backs of my hands to the point where they would bleed god I'd completely forgotten that I remember having two little lines on my hands where I'd scratched the skin raw because I was so agitated And a lot of you listening to this might be thinking, God, these all seem neurodivergent. You know, these are all things that we're taught are common in neurodivergent children. And yes, they are, but they're also common with trauma. And this is where the difficulty lies in deciphering between what is trauma and what is neurodivergence. Because it's so difficult sometimes to differentiate between the two because when you have experienced complex trauma it is a type of neurodivergence because your brain chemistry has been altered. It is no longer a neurotypical brain that you are dealing with, you're almost fighting against your own noggin. And this is why we see so many things like eating disorders. I'm a big restrictive eater and it's not an intentional thing. It's just simply that when I am in a high state of stress, I tend not to eat very much. And for some people that goes the opposite way. They tend to eat more. But that kind of disordered eating is very common with trauma responses because it's a bid for control or to make yourself feel better. I know as a child in particular, I was a very large child, which my mum would then use to control or use to manipulate situations. I remember her telling me when I was 12 that if I dieted down, I could get my belly button pierced, which is what I, I did. I obsessively dieted down to you know we're talking eating maybe one salad sandwich a day and then having a a slim fast shake um, for breakfast if anything and I still have those patterns of disordered eating because it's something that I'd always done and something that I still struggle with if I'm in a high state of stress where I'm just not hungry and I don't particularly want to eat And it's a way of controlling I guess the things that are going on around me as if I'm I'm not eating I've got something within my control and that in itself is an eating disorder type thinking but you can understand how these types of thinking all get linked together it all comes back to how we were raised whether we were shown how to self-regulate and whether we had a parent who had the ability to regulate with us and whether or not we experienced trauma for whatever reason. And you might listen to this and think, well, I had a really difficult childhood, but I don't experience any of this and I don't relate to any of it. You might relate to all of it, and you might only relate to the odd bit, but it's important for us to note that when we talk about childhood trauma and we talk about difficult childhood experiences, they are not necessarily the same thing. You can have had a really difficult childhood without having trauma, and you can have really awful experiences without having trauma what I will say is people who have had experiences in childhood that are traumatic or even that are difficult experiences through childhood but they wouldn't have been diagnosed with complex trauma they are more likely to experience trauma in response to things that other people perhaps would take more in their stride things such as a breakup infidelity loss of job loss of friend loss of sibling any of these things that for the majority of people might be really hurtful, really damaging for somebody who is a childhood trauma survivor is more likely to be re-traumatizing. Which is why so commonly when we look at therapy, we look back to look forward. So whatever you're dealing with, right now especially if you have experienced childhood trauma may be affecting you in such a way because of your childhood trauma and because of the way in which you react to things based upon that trauma so you may have heard on previous episodes we've talked about how common it is for people who have experienced childhood trauma and abuse at the hands of a toxic or narcissistic parent finding a spouse or partner who behaves in a very similar way to that parent it's so easy to look at that and go well all these people around me think I'm the problem I must be the problem they can't all be wrong when in fact the problem is the fact that your brain seeks out what feels like home and home was a dangerous place on a final note before I let you go I have one last weird trauma thing that I have recently discovered a link to, and this is because last week I went and had a cortisone injection, not to be confused with cortisol, um, I had a cortisone injection in my wrist because I have developed carpal tunnel. And I just assumed that this was just a normal thing. I developed carpal tunnel. You know, I'm in my mid 30s. I type constantly. I work in social media. I'm an author. All of these different things that I do where I'm using my hands constantly it makes sense that I get carpal tunnel. And somebody who is a psychologist sent me a link to studies that have shown there are links between carpal tunnel and childhood trauma (laughs) and I think that is the perfect end to the episode I really wanted to do this episode not just so that you could reflect on some of your own trauma responses and triggers and look at things and say oh actually no that's not me being crackers that is a trauma response but also so that you could understand the impact that trauma has on you and why it is not your fault if you have these responses it is your responsibility to manage it the same as it is my responsibility and has been to navigate that and educate myself on on why i have the responses that i do but it's not your fault that you have these responses and it's not your fault if you notice any of these things within yourself. In fact, actually, it's trauma and it's okay to acknowledge that that's trauma. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. I will speak to you again next week. Bye. How up?